0: Hey, Al McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix
1: Sun Show.
2: Good morning, and welcome to another Solar Panel. It's a special midweek edition for all you uh, fun folks, live and active folks at 7 a.m. Arizona time uh, watching on YouTube right now. Hey, more power to you. We're getting you up even earlier than usual. And uh, those obviously listening on the pod forums or watching later on YouTube, thank you for joining us as well. But the ones here who are lucky to be here, get to participate in the chat, you guys can ask questions as well. I am Dave King. This is the Sun Solar Panel Podcast, and I'm joined by my regular podcasting partner, Brandon, uh, also known as Zona Hoops. How's it going, Brandon?
0: Good. You know, I've been trying to get you to push this back to 9 a.m. Uh, for a while now, and somehow, oh, we're here at 7, so all I'll take the for that, that one.
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we are Joining doing, us. Doing Go well.
0: Ahead. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, no problem. Brandon actually has been super overworked. Um, uh, he's the media relations coordinator, right? Uh, the uh, manager yep. for the Arizona Rattlers. And uh, they've been going hot and heavy. They even had a game uh, last Friday night right ahead of the Suns' uh, playoff start. So uh, that's yep. why we missed him last weekend. And then today we are joined by a special guest. Uh, he is—we uh, won't even treat you like the enemy, but you kind of are the enemy today. Uh, Mason Ginsburg covers the Pelicans. How are you doing, Mason?
1: Pretty good. Thanks for having me, and thanks for accommodating my East Coast uh, time zone.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, no problem. We uh, we we love having um, different voices on, and for sure, uh, Mason is the just about the voice of the Pelicans. Uh, and uh, you guys are on this magical run. Tell me, from a Pelicans fan point of view, what's this run been like, and what what's obviously you're you got to be a little surprised they made the playoffs and got through, but maybe not as surprised as the rest of us.
1: Still surprised. Um, I I look at this uh, fairly probably more quantitatively than the typical fan. And you know, back before the trade deadline, it's it, you know I, I think. The Pelicans, as they started to make their run from where they started at, at one and twelve and three and sixteen, you saw that they would have a shot at the ten seed. But even if you get the ten seed right, and at that point it was January, you're thinking you probably have to play the Lakers uh, and and then another another team that's that's formidable. Uh, and so even if you get the ten seed, you're still looking at what like a twenty percent chance to get into the playoffs at you know, best. So um, it, it was it was certainly a surprise obviously the CJ trade uh, gave a different perspective, but even then um, you knew you weren't going to get as the Clippers kind of had had a little bit of a run. You knew you weren't going to get into the top eight, which is important because top eight, you only got to win once eight, nine or 10, you got to win twice. And so it's, it's a, you know, mathematically it's quite different. And so um, the the fact that they were able to really, obviously a, a little fortuitous with Paul George's health and safety protocols and you know, that, do they win that game in l.a with paul george playing i think it's reasonable to say probably not um and and so you know they got there um and you know here we are a couple games into a, a fun series so far with phoenix you, you saw f- some first half jitters but for the pelicans in the first game but we got ourselves a series now um and whether or not i mean that's a little we'll, we'll get into why it's a series and it's not a, a you know looking like a sweep but uh but it's certainly been quite a ride and and the vibes are good uh, with New Orleans team right now for the fan base and for the team.
2: Yeah. Tell me your thoughts of how um, uh, Willie green is your rookie coach. Uh, He, he uh, was on the sun staff for a couple of years. So we're familiar with his name, but we didn't really talk to him a whole lot uh, obviously because Monty Williams does all the talking with the press and doing interviews and stuff like that. So tell us your impressions of Willie green as a rookie coach before Actually, let's start out before this playoff run, because obviously you guys got to be high on him, especially right now. But uh, what did you think during the season of Willie as a coach?
1: Um, Really not enough good things to say. Um, I'll start. The only thing that has been challenging, and this is going to be the case for any young head coach, especially one who had the NBA playing career and the role that Willie Green did. And that's, um, you know, Put, uh, pulling players in and out of the rotation, um, and so yeah, I think you saw during the season Garrett Temple stuck in the rotation for a couple months too long. But Garrett Temple's career was very similar to the career Willie Green had in the NBA, and I think that's mm-hmm. and and you're seeing a little bit now with Devontae Graham. A lot of Pelicans fans are kind of wondering what he's doing, still, still in the rotation with how well Jose's played. But it's it, I, you know you have to realize the human element here is really hard to 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 go tell somebody like Devonte. That has started for you for half the season, hey, you're out of the rotation entirely. Like that's a really challenging thing to do. Like Popovich probably will do it without thinking twice, but a young guy like Willie Green, that's that's what you learn as a head coach. And so, but that that's really where the criticisms end. Everything else has been really, really great. The way that the players have bought into his system, to him as a, as a leader, uh has been fantastic. Uh, it, it's it, especially when you compare it to the season before. <laughs> I don't know if you have caught uh, Josh Hart's po- uh, podcast. can was his podcast, the one he did with JJ Redick, but um, talked about how much he just hated playing basketball under Stan Van Gundy. And so it was just—it's really night and day. The culture, the environment that he's created in New Orleans, um, and so the, the players just—they play hard for him. I think you saw in Game One of the Sun series that it's—it's uh, it, it's a team that's not going to quit, um, and that's something that in the past couple of years. You really couldn't say that about New Orleans. They, you know, if they fall behind, it's a kind of just mm-hmm. mail it in. Um, but, but really, you know, look at a head coach. Uh, the the big thing they've got to do is motivate people. You have assistant coaches to do the game plan, to do all the all the, the work around, uh, you know, rotations, matchups, things like that. But you've got to get your players to buy in as the head coach and to believe in you. And that's Willie Green's done that. And it's really, again, as a forty year old head coach, first first job as as a leader like this. I can't say enough good things about him. We're lucky to have him. Thanks for letting him go.
2: <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Brandon, you got a question?
0: Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think, especially given their, their slow start this season, it's just made his uh, coaching performance that much more impressive this year, just getting them to buy in and, and change the culture. Uh, Cause I know, you know, earlier on in the season when the Pelicans were struggling and, I was like, I hope he's not the scapegoat here because I think Willie can really coach. Um, so I'm glad they, they kind of turned it around. And and he's been a huge reason, I think, because getting <clears throat> a young team to buy into that culture is, is not easy. So kudos to him. And, uh, you know, the Pelicans have been a fun story uh, at our expense last game, but hopefully uh, the Suns can get back on track here. Um, so I guess I would say my question for you is, you know, obviously the Pelicans shot. Um, 57%, which is their season high from three. Um, what do you think outside of that the Pelicans can do to kind of keep that offense, um, I guess, in check against the Suns defense and and continue that pace?
1: Yeah, I mean, it starts with Brandon Ingram, right? You saw how, how good, uh, well he played in game two. Yep. Um, I, I think – you know, good defense translates to good offense. I mean, and I think the Pelicans with, with, you know, playing against a team without Devin Booker. Now you hope you can get more stops and that can translate to not, transition or, or, or fast break points. And the Pelicans will, you know, they'll get, they'll take missed shots and they'll push, they'll push the pace. They'll try to get easy buckets because um, you know, half court offense, you see them struggle sometimes because they get a little bit ISO focused with CJ and with Brandon. And so, um yeah there was some ridiculous shot making in game two and i don't think you can consider that sustainable and so the pelicans really i think have to turn defense into offense here they've been with with herb jones they've been a a, a good defensive team uh you know post all-star break Uh, as long as they're not playing you know Devontae and cj together two undersized guards um Mm -hmm. they've been a, a a pretty good defensive team not great but good and so i think as uh, playing against a, a team now without their best score um the suns are still a really good team but i think the pelicans can really try to uh turn uh defensive stops into uh the easier buckets with a defense that's not set and i know monty williams was really stressing the the how poorly the sun's played in that regard in game two and i know he's going to be that they're, they're going to be really focused on improving that transition defense in game Three.
2: Oh, for sure um we are talking today with mason ginsburg Mason, like I said, is the voice for the Pelicans in our world. Um, he has words for he he writes for Bourbon Street Shots. Uh, he pods on the Blue Wire pods on the in the No Pod, and uh, you really um, have great insight into the team. Um, now what I want to talk about a little bit is just catch people up, first of all. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know which how many games have been played you know, because you're listening two weeks from now because we're such a great podcast, you want to hear all of our voices again. Um, the Suns are, and the Pelicans are tied at one game apiece. The Suns won the first game. Uh, they really um, held New Orleans in check in the first half and had a 54, or 53-34 lead at halftime that we all thought, oh, gosh. This thing might be a, might be a walkover um, at that point because the Pelicans just weren't ready for playoff basketball and the Suns were more than ready. And then all of a sudden part of it might've been the Suns letting up a little bit in the second half because it's such a big lead. And part of it was the Pelicans suddenly deciding they knew how to play basketball again. And the, uh, uh, Pelicans only lost by uh, eight or nine. Uh, I'm sorry, they lost by 11 in that game, 110 to 99. So the Suns, it ended up being a close game in the second half. They got it down to six points at one point before Chris Paul went off and scored 17 points uh, in the first half of the fourth quarter to basically put the game away for the Suns. And the Pelicans just uh, couldn't close out that game. Then game two. Game two, Devin Booker comes in and creates what should be the prevailing meme uh, going on in the NBA playoffs right now, when at the end of the first quarter, he finishes off this absolutely sublime first quarter. He made four threes in the quarter, and uh, then it, as time expired, he hits a fallaway jumper that where he falls into the first row, the, the courtside seats, and uh, he daps up a baby. Uh, That just that was incredibly sitting there on the floor after having made the shot. The the quarter's over. Time has expired, obviously. And and so it's a dead ball. And he just reaches over and he daps up a baby. Um, That should be the prevailing theme. But then just a few minutes later, Devin Booker pulls a hamstring as the Pelicans are coming back in the game. Uh, well, Pelicans were always in the game. The Suns were actually down at the end of the first quarter, but the Pelicans were establishing themselves throughout the game. The Suns never could get a big foothold. And it was just really incredible watching uh, the Pelicans make every tough shot in that game. And then suddenly you see Devin Booker go down. He pulls a hamstring. Uh, and he's done this before. Devin Booker has pulled hamstrings before. Uh, he's, he generally misses. Two weeks. Although in the finals, he pulled his he he strained his hamstring and he played right through it uh, last year, and he was less effective. Um, So I don't know what the Suns are going to do, but he's definitely almost certainly going to miss the weekend games in New Orleans as he recovers. Um, (laughs) Blaze Megatron, that baby's never going to wash his hand again. Well babies if they could if they had any say in it that hand would always be in their mouth they'd never wash it anyway but (laughs) um but yes that's uh so now we got to talk about what what the suns are going to do what the pelicans are going to do over the next few games now we saw in the second half when devin booker was out in game two and the pelicans ended up just hitting all the big shots to keep hold of the game and win on the road and now have taken home court advantage away from the suns um if, they, if the three of the next four are in New Orleans, they could close out the series. We saw Milwaukee close out a series last year um, uh, with three out of four on the road. Um, so it's it's just, uh, well, at least gain control of the series. Um, it's, it's really tough uh, that the Suns have lost home court advantage. Now, what we saw in the second half, and I want to talk a little bit about this, was now Herb Jones just has one perimeter player to focus on, and that's Chris Paul. And the Pelicans put a lot of length on Chris Paul, uh, mostly though, Herb, Herb Jones in that second half. Do you expect Herb to get most of the defensive assignment against Chris Paul, Mason?
1: I, I think so. But I also think that, you know, the the, the Suns will do some clever things to to avoid that matchup and, and get, get Chris Paul away from Herb on, with, using screens. But I also, I think the X factor here, and I, you know, I'll eat a slice of humble pie on this one because I was out here screaming. After game one, that Jackson Hayes is not playable in this series. Like the, the Suns are just kind of leaving him in a, on an island in the corner, and they were basically playing four on five offensively with Jackson out there because he, mm-hmm. he he can make a three, but he's not someone that he, he's shooting you know low thirty percentage and he's 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 still developing that shot. He, the guy only started playing basketball in high school. He's, he's not he's not a knockdown shooter yet. But um, in game two, the the narrative flipped, and, and he became a real important piece defensively. Uh, and, and so you, you saw him switch on the Chris Ball and kind of hold his own, which is not I – mean, I, I've seen enough Chris Ball games dating back to his New Orleans days to you know that if he gets a big on a pick and roll and he gets that, that, that switch, it's, it, it's game over. And so uh, I, I even thought that Jonas Valanciunas would, his minutes would go down compared to normal against in this series because of what Chris Ball has done to him in, in previous games. But um, I, I think Jackson has been uh, – and, and now that, again, with, with Booker out, they may have a little more flexibility and, and be able to – to, to, to play him and, and get by because I I thought he did well on switches against Chris Paul. And so, um, well, yes, I think Herb will get that matchup um, be, because he's the guy you have to key on. He's the, he's, he, he starts the offense. Um, I, I think that the Pelicans may have some, uh, uh, some more flexibility because of what Jackson's been able to provide. I don't think Jackson plays 30 minutes a night now, but I do think he'll, he'll get, so, he'll, he'll, he'll be a, a factor in the rotation. And, and I'm curious to see how he follows up the performance yet in game two.
0: Yeah, for sure yeah and those leakouts from from Hayes and the Pelicans in general really killed the Suns just the transition defense I think is something that that I talked about in the the game preview before the game Um, it's just something that I think you need to limit the Pelicans uh, getting those easy looks make them force them to get to their half court sets where they could struggle a little bit like we saw in game one the Suns just kind of slowed things down for them and just really especially in that first half uh, and really force them into some tough shots I think the Suns need to get back to that. If they want to be successful, you can't give a young team like this confidence with those easy buckets, because that leads to, uh, you know, them shooting threes up, you know, with, with that confidence. So um, I think from a Suns' point of view, it's just transition defense is the number one thing and the offensive glass they've been killed on. So uh, we need those two things going in the series, but to kind of, you know, get out, re- be out rebounded by a uh, 30 in two games is, is rough. So hopefully they can mm. clean that up and, you know, the, That'll lead to less transition hoops as well.
2: Okay, let's take just a second to talk about our friends at DraftKings. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round of action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win, and you get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. Do parlays, too. Same-game parlays are option. You can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Mason, what are your thoughts on uh, Jonas Valanciunas playing 30 minutes a night? On one hand, obviously, he's a monster getting the rebounds. And with the Suns doing switch-heavy defense, uh, he often doesn't have DeAndre Ayton fighting him. For those rebounds under the basket, because uh, Aiton is is got his back turned, um, guarding the you know the guarding the guy driving driving in, going after. And the Suns have coached him uh, in this series to sell out to at least in Game One to sell out to the ball handler uh, if he gets past the past the the guards. And certainly Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum are good at that. Um, so. But then on the other hand, uh, they seem to have played better when they were, uh, the Pelicans seem to have played better when they go small and they have Larry Nance or they have uh, just, you know, just overall more versatility in the lineup. So what's your thoughts on uh, Jonas's role going forward?
1: Yeah, it, it really depends on how the Suns backfill the minutes for, for, for Booker. Um, I, I think, I mean, he, he was plus five in game two, so he was able to really, I, I, I don't think that they um, struggled a ton with him out there, but I also think that, if, you know, when, if it gets down to crunch time, um, you saw them go to Larry Nance instead of Jonas mm-hmm. because Chris Paul can can can, you know, can can kind of really expose a big like Jonas. and so mm-hmm. uh, I, I would expect that to happen again. Larry Nance has been huge in this series; he's really been used down the stretch for New Orleans in those play-in games as well. Um, yeah, I, I think the Pelicans fans were excited to get him in that CJ trade as well, just because it, if it, you know, with the assumption that Zion wasn't coming back, that he's he's a great third big option to have, and, and if you get back to how he was playing before he entered traded to Portland—that um, he was a valuable piece, and I think that'll continue. Uh, you know, I, I think you'll see Jonas play 26 minutes in Game Two. I, I think you'll see maybe that tick up a little bit, um, but I, I don't—I don't really think he'll go over 30. I think you'll see Nance play almost as much as Jonas, whether maybe a little bit together, but mostly separate. And so, um, I, I, I do—I'm always concerned about his, his minutes against uh, Chris Paul, but also. With Aiden out there he's got to be out there for for a lot of it um you know the, the pelicans are one of their rebounding advantage is one of their one of the things that they've got to lean into to, to really have a chance in the series um and so you, you've got to uh you know rely on him to a degree but I, I don't think it's probably as much as uh you might play him against some other teams because of how big chris paul is at exploiting uh, guys like him
0: yeah larry, larry nance is a great pickup anyone that's followed me over the last couple off seasons and trade deadlines was known. I, I wanted him in Phoenix mm-hmm. for for a while now. Uh, he's just a perfect, like you said, just perfect third big. That could kind of give you uh, both looks as like a small ball center and some, or you could plug him next to another big uh, if you need to go bigger. But, um, yeah, I thought he really cooked Javel McGee uh, in game two, and that was kind of the difference. Uh, you know, so hopefully the – Suns could give him a different look uh, defensively, but I thought just his ability to knock down shots and, and really defend in space is, uh, took the Pelicans' bench unit to another level.
1: So. Yeah, it, and every time – I I've had to remind myself that Nance is 6'7" it's it's it blows my mind every time i feel like he, he plays like he's six nine six ten and they can switch yeah. onto onto wing not you know not really really good he can guard Devin booker obviously but he can hold his own in a lot of matchups on the wing and he yep. can he can rebound and he can play above his size which is which is really really nice to have for for new orleans i'm, I'm actually curious i mean do you, how do you feel about the development McGee minutes so far do you think those are going to continue i think that was of the rotation for phoenix i think that was probably the more surprising thing to me to see him playing you know, uh, we played a decent amount of minutes last night or in game two. Yeah. Fifteen minutes. I thought, I, I, was, I thought he'd be in the single digits, if anything. Um, so, but, you know, what do, what do you
2: think? He's, he's been regularly playing a, a good role as the, as the backup center. Monty Williams, in his rotations, has really liked having one big and, and four uh, wings or, or playmakers out there. And uh, he's very consistent with that. The, the Suns don't go small without a center very much so if you're gonna see JaVale McGee playing less than 50 if you're gonna see the Suns playing Javel McGee less than 15 minutes it's either because DeAndre Ayton's going for 40 or um, you know he's switching it out for Bismack Biombo or something like that instead uh, and so it, that's but JaVale has been really good all season. JaVale has been fun all season as a backup big when he's active and he's in the right. He, he often gets in the right spots at the right time. He can get you a double double in 15 minutes. Um, there were actually fans early in the season uh, saying that JaVale was so good. Maybe you should be grabbing minutes from Aiden on a regular basis. Um, that's and that's the JaVale McGee experience. The ultimate this is we have had the Javale McGee experience this year, where there are plays where you're just like, "Oh my God, that guy is so talented," and then the very next play he does something going, "Oh, now I see why he's a backup." So there's uh, that. That is what we've been experiencing. So I don't expect to to stop seeing Javale McGee out there um, unless the Suns have decided we're just going to go as many minutes as possible with Aiden or um, you want to switch it up and do a Bismack or something like that. From your point of view, Mason. Would you say those are some of the, um, I think the reason you asked the question is that it, it appears that those are some of the weaker uh, minutes the Suns have had, like as far as rotations when JaVale's been out there or uh, what else, what else got you asking the question?
1: No, um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think if you look up and down the, the Suns rotation, there's not like a, there's, there are no, you know, big power forwards, you know, it, no. within. So, so it's kind of, it kind of has to be him or, as you said, or, or, or Biombo. Um, I'm just—I I was curious because of how the Pelicans have really managed their their bench minutes. They're—they're not—they're not sending Billy Hernan Gomez out there, for example. So it's a—you know—it's a combination of Jackson Hayes and, and and Larry Nance. And so there's not really a, a type of guy that you know you typically see Javale um, handle. Yeah, and so which which is you know if he's going kind to of protect the rim a little bit. That that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, curious if if there are concerns about him getting you know switched on the guards, but also the, the Pelicans' backups are in. Exactly
2: well. His big problem. problem. Yeah. Is that, is when, when the other team goes small, that's, so I, I expect Bonnie will have to do some kind of adjustments. Um, he's very loyal to his rotations and, uh, but when the Pelicans go small and you've got Larry Nance as your, as your big out there uh JaVale, he only knows how to play in a drop scheme and uh, he get, he can get cooked by, um, an offense that can shoot from all five positions uh, from the outside. Then we've got the other end of the spectrum. So we're talking about possibly the sun's going a little smaller uh, sometimes uh, when, when Deandre Ayton is sitting. Um, and then we've got the big warthog talking about the rebounding discrepancy. The suns are getting killed on, on the boards and maybe we should see a twin towers lineup uh, to put Bismack in there next to one of uh, JaVale or, um, or Ayton. Um Brandon. What do you think about the potential for a two,
0: twin towers lineup? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I think I think we should just kind of, if anything, we should scale back from playing Javale. I think, uh, especially against Larry Nance in that small ball lineup, because he defensively, he's just he looks lost out there, um, and, and really, I think that was part of the issue with their defense was they just couldn't really adjust to the Pelicans' personnel um, once the starters were off the floor. So. Uh, I think if anything, even trying out a Torrey Craig and Jay Crowder as your like quote unquote bigs, just like what they did against the Clippers last year, that could be an option. Um, but I think they should scale back the Javale minutes a little bit, um, specifically against Larry Nance. Like I think uh, you know if Aiden got in foul trouble or something, you need him to match up against Jonas, and that's that's fine. But uh, in terms of you know just t- pure like adjustments for for lineups, so I just don't love the the McGee in that small ball lineup. Um, re- rebounding issues aside, like even with that, I just I think you got to scale back the, the development in this series.
2: Yeah, what's really interesting for the Suns is that uh, they traded rebounding this season. I'm going to I'm going to give a bigger picture here real quick. The Suns traded rebounding so that they could be better in transition defense on the other end if the other team gets that rebound. What's gone on in this in this series against the Pelicans is the Pelicans somehow have been getting both. They've been getting both uh, they've been getting the rebounds and the Suns have not been covering transition defense. The Pelicans have gotten out and gotten a lot of a lot of easy scores, especially in game two. Um, you end up with Jackson Hayes out on the perimeter guarding Chris Paul and Chris Paul doesn't break him down uh, and get into the paint. Or even if Chris Paul does try to break him down and get a paint shot if the Suns miss, Jackson Hayes is taking off and he got a few um, uh finishes on the on the on a fast break and along on a long outlet pass. Um so the Suns have to pick their poison and what they generally do is they have a really great transition defense and they pick their they, they they pick that and their poison being defensive rebounding. However, the Suns have won the rebounding battle more than half the time this year. It's just when they can't grab I think there's a magic number of 40. If they don't grab 40 rebounds, they are barely above 500 this year. If they grab under Uh, that um, they're barely above 500 if they grab over that then they're almost undefeated so there is a tipping point where the suns just need to get a representative number of rebounds my problem with a small lineup is that the sun's wings have not been grabbing rebounds tory craig had zero rebounds in game one and i'm not looking at the box score right now but i don't think he grabbed too much in game two as well um jay crowder has been terrible uh, in this series, uh, Cameron Johnson has not grabbed many rebounds in this game. Mikkel Bridges might be the four wings leading rebounder, and he's averaging about four or five. So it's tough. Um, you've got you can't go totally small if none of those guys is willing to rebound. So what, what the Suns need to see is those guys being much more active, at least the one who's assigned to go after you know contest for rebounds uh, needs to go after the rebounds. Um, Mason, what's your thought on the rebounding discrepancy so far?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head as far as the the differences and you see like, for example, in uh, for New Orleans in game two, um, the the big rebounders besides Jonas were their wick was was CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram. And so what they're doing is, is, you know, kind of holding those guys back uh, to help on the glass and to, you know, take an outlet pass and, and push the ball up. And then you're seeing you know, your, your power forward, so to speak, Jackson Hayes has got like three rebounds in the game because he's leaking out. He's And he's mm-hmm. and, and he's, this is how the Pelicans are creating transition opportunities off of missed, bat, missed, missed shots. Not, you know, it doesn't have to be a turnover. That it's, you know, yeah. they've got this, they've got, a, they've got a kind of a system down as to how to create those uh, fast break opportunities. And so, you know, I, I think that's something they'll try to continue. And I'm sure that's one of the big keys to, you know, to the, the Sun's focus between game two and game three is how to, how to limit that. And like you said, you've got to, you, you've got to send, uh, you know, you, you've got to kind of play the balance because it's not like you want to send the house to, to offensive rebound for for the Suns. You, you, you That's because that's not a wooden proposition, but you've got to be able to get your defense back and set as quickly as possible to prevent the Pelicans from, from uh, creating chances like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and part of the um, part of the rebounding discrepancy for the Pelicans, like uh, the plus twenty on offensive rebounds in Game One, part of that was because they made twenty percent of their shots. I mean, there was a lot of rebounds to be had in that game. In Game Two, the Pelicans had a lot fewer offensive rebounds, um, and the and the discrepancy was manageable by the Suns. Uh, where the Pelicans won in game two was the incredible shot making, but the rebound discrepancy was manageable in game two uh, because the Pelicans were making a representative number of shots. So it's it's just one of those things. Um, it is interesting, though, uh, what you pointed out, Mason. I think Suns fans need to pick up on this. It was McCollum and uh, my recollection is McCollum had eight rebounds and uh, Brandon Ingram had 11 rebounds. Those guys are not any bigger than the Suns guys. I mean, McCollum's only 6'2", for example. And it was Jackson Hayes, who you said, three rebounds, but he got out on the break. So they have the bigs leaking and the littles staying for those rebounds on the Suns misses. Um, And you know what? That's not a winning proposition to try to stop that from happening. What you got to do is play transition defense and stop the scoring in transition, stop that outlet pass because the guy's not open, uh, you know, make them get into a half court game because they're not as good in the half court as they are in the open court. Ah, uh, you're on mute, Mason.
1: I should know better at this point. Um, so the, the, the Pelicans had 32 defensive rebounds in the in game two. Um, uh, Larry Nance, Jonas Valanciunas, CJ McCollum, and Brandon Ingram had 30 of those 32, those four players. The only other, Trey Murphy had one rebound. Herb Jones had one rebound. It's, that's not a coincidence. This is a, this is a tactic the Pelicans are deploying to try to have the right, to put the right, the ball in the right person's hands and get the ball to the floor and also put the right people flying out on the break. And so um, the the Pelicans will keep trying to do this. And and I, I, but I have no doubt that the Suns will have a better plan to to stop it. Especially when you consider um, for, I mean, for as good as Devin Booker is, he's he's obviously he's the Sun's best player. He's fantastic. But he's not the best defender. The, the Suns have been better defensively with him off the floor. Um, for, I mean, there's a, a bunch of conflating variables there. But I, I think that the Suns can be a better defensive team with him out, um, depending on what rotations they use. And so I, I think they may be better equipped to stop it. It's just a question of can you, can you create the offense?
2: Yeah, the Suns' defense is really predicated on those guys knowing where each other are. Uh, So one of the one of the struggles that these sons have and maybe this two games, two days of practice will help is that when you mess up their uh, rotations, they no longer know exactly what the other four guys are doing every moment on the court because they have different roles and different lineups. Uh, So they haven't. um, uh, So let's talk about Brandon. I want to I want to ask you, who do you think starts in Devin Booker's absence for two games in New Orleans? And um, who ends up with the most minutes in Devin Booker's absence um, in that role? Because those could be the same answer or two different answers. What do you think, Brandon? Uh,
0: I think it'll be two different answers. I think Cam Johnson will start. I think Landry Shammit will benefit the most in terms of minutes uh, with the second unit and, and filling that Booker role uh, when they need someone that, you know, they can run off screens and get some actions for um, But. But yeah, I think Cam Johnson, his size, and and just getting his confidence too, just going. That's I think that'll be huge. Uh, I think you got you got to start the best players and uh, match the Pelican size any way you can. So I think uh, getting Cam, and if we get that, you know, New York Knicks Cam, where he just couldn't miss and just kind of takes over and just gets his confidence back, then uh, that'd be great. But you know, I think he's the one that's got to probably step up the most in terms of. Uh, not only production, but just you know, getting those shots up. I want to see 10 plus threes from him uh, per game with Booker out. I think he just needs to have that confidence, so we'll see if he does.
2: Um, yeah, I think with uh, I'm, I'm with you that Landry Shamit and Cam Johnson are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of Devin Booker being out, but I'm going to flip it um, in my opinion. I think they're going to start Landry Shammott. Uh, and because Monty likes the guys who are in the like roles and all that, and Cam spends more of his time at a 3-4 position than he does at a 2 position. Uh, I think they're going to, but Cam will end up with the most minutes because then the Suns are going to go into their switch-heavy defense and and uh, Cam holds up better than Landry uh, in, that, in that rhythm. Uh, but I do think those two are going to be the biggest beneficiaries. So who scores the most points, Brandon? Is it going to be... Ah, uh, Cam Johnson, or is it going to be Landry Shamit in Game Three? Let's let's do a prediction here.
0: Cam Johnson. I uh, I think uh, I don't think Landry's going to play as many minutes as you'd think. Uh, I still think he'll get a some decent run, but I think Cam uh, Johnson is going to close the game, and he's also going to uh, just have a lot more looks than Landry will. So I think go. Cam uh, Johnson will score exactly twenty-one points. Landry Shamit will score eleven. So. Put that in draft into your DraftKings bet slip.
2: Twenty-one and eleven. All right. So Mason, what's your reaction to hearing us talk about uh, filling Devin Booker's minutes?
1: I mean, it's impossible to fill that fill, fill, uh, backfill for a, a guy like that. And I know um, I, haven't, I didn't look at the record or who, who the games were against, but I know you know Phoenix was eight and six without Booker this year, so they can they can handle his absence. That they're not the you know elite uh, team that they you know are, are typically without him, but. Um, I think it gives the Pelicans a little bit more flexibility in how they, how they match up. I think I wouldn't recommend it, but I think it means more minutes for Devonte Graham. That one of the reasons he's unplayable is because you, you can't bookers going to torch him if he's out there. And so mm-hmm. without him, I think I, I would not be surprised to see Willie green, see if, if Devonte can catch fire um, because that's what, that's the value in, in, in playing him at this point with, and now that you have CJ, it, it's not a star. He's not a starter, but he's kind of lightning in a bottle. And, and so Um, I think Willie will throw him out there, see if he's, if if it's good Devontae game and he he may give him some minutes if he's, if he's hitting shots. Um, Otherwise the the rotation may not, may not change too much. I mean, I I think you're seeing, um, I think, you know, Jose will, will still get his minutes. Trey will still get his minutes. Um, You know, I think Trey's been huge for the team this, this series. I think that was the most predictable thing coming in is that, um, he, he, Murphy's been getting more minutes uh, in the last couple of months, and, and he's really made the most of them. Uh, and he's their best kind of wing floor spacer uh, off, off the bench that they have. Um, led the led the rookie class in three point percent. Not as many attempts as a lot of other guys, but that was that was what you thought you were getting from him when you drafted him. And so um, I, I think a lot of that stays stays consistent. Um, I am curious what happens with Naji Marshall's minutes because I think he's a guy that they, they use him off the bench and kind of as, as a secondary creator and as a guy who. It, once Herb Jones comes out, you have Herb Jones light on defense. That's kind of how they view him because uh, he he is a tough defender. But again, do you how, how how necessary is that now that Devin Booker's out of the game? Um, and so, and if Cam Johnson comes in, or checks in earlier yeah. and is playing more at the starters, do you need Najee Marshall playing, or can you focus minutes on 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 other players? Um, yeah, like Murphy. So uh, I think there are some considerations for Willie. Um, I think he's a kind of a, a creature of habit to the start to start here, and he's going his rotation probably won't change that much. But if he sees, sees an opening, sees a, a weakness, I think I think he'll jump on in as early as the second half of Game Three. Um,
2: it, a big warthog in the chat points out something I wanted to, us to touch on uh, is that uh, he says. Uh, Big Warthog says, I don't think we should play Payne, Craig, and McGee together. They've been a horrible lineup. Now, I just want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, the Suns acquired uh, Tory Craig at that – reacquired Tory Craig at the trade deadline. They um, obviously have uh, – they signed McGee in the offseason. They've had campaign as their, as their backup point guard for a couple of years. Um, in that lineup, they also play with Cameron Johnson uh, and, um, uh, say, uh, yeah, JaVale McGee. So you've got – Campaign, um, uh, Tory Craig, Cam Johnson, Javale McGee, and Landry Shamet as your as your second unit. Monty's been wanting to get that second unit together all year. Finally got a chance in the last week and a half to play them together. They've been absolutely horrible, and he did it again in game two, putting those five out there with no starters at the at the end of the uh, maybe as in the second quarter in the middle, or maybe in the third quarter. I can't remember, but all five were there together. And I was just like, oh my God, here we go again. Monty is a creature of habit too. I think Willie Green and Monty Williams are, are kind of uh, cut from the same cloth. And he really wa- he really wants to see that lineup succeed, but they're not succeeding. So um, you're going to see a lot more mixing and matching of sun starters with bench guys, hopefully uh, in game three. Uh, you will see Torrey Craig. You'll see all those guys out there, but at different, in different iterations of each other. And that's why I think he's going to put Landry Shamit with the starters um, so that he can get, he can already start, start with a start uh some starters some bench uh groupings together but the guy who really really can be a big difference maker in this in this series is Cameron Payne we haven't talked about him much at all um, he can't make a shot for the life of him and I watch him in pregame warm-ups and I know this isn't the point at which he should be making all the shots but he's actually doing like a lot of guys in the, in the hour before the game starts, they come out on the court as the fans are gathering and they come out on the court and they just kind of do some easy shots to just practice, you know, their their, their shot rhythm. Uh, they don't they don't build up a sweat. The fans, you know, they don't want to see the fans, they don't want the fans to see them fail or anything like that. You can see bigs who never take threes make 20 threes in a row. That kind of thing is what happens in pregame warmup uh, when the fans are arriving. And yet lately campaign, has been working his butt off with uh, one of the assistant coaches in getting, you know, practicing his catch and shoot threes and just trying to. He's sweating like crazy, trying to trying to get a rhythm on his catch and shoot threes, but right before the game starts, so he can start making some again. And he misses them even in warmups. So if campaign can find his range, that makes the Suns a lot more dangerous. A year ago, he made forty five percent of his threes, forty three percent, something like that. The bu- the bubble before that, he made fifty percent. This year he's making 30%, and lately he's been making 0%. Him and him and Jay Crowder are, are just the, the Brick brothers. It's just crazy how they can't make any shots. That'll be a big difference for the Suns this, this weekend in NOLA if they can start making shots. Mason, do you have guys that you're thinking are X factors for your team that uh, can make or break a th- games three and four in, in New Orleans?
1: Well, to, to speak to that point specifically, I think the Pelicans. Uh, one of the other impacts of Booker not playing is that I'm much less concerned about Herb Jones getting to foul trouble. That was one of my big worries before the series. You know, not thinking that there's going to be a competitive series uh, with the with the Suns healthy. But um, you know, Herb Jones is the Pelicans' best defender. Um, he's been he's been excellent, but he's also a rookie, and there, he, he rookies generally don't get defensive respect, and so. He, he, he does foul. Uh, so, I mean, all rookies tend to foul. Foul foul rates are reasonably high. I also think he gets called for some that I don't don't really, I, I question whether or not they're fouls. And so against a guy like Booker, that's terrifying, right? Um, and, and so the fact that he's not playing, now I'm much less worried about her getting in foul trouble, which kind of correlates to the Najee comment I made earlier. But um, I, the reason I bring that up is because um, now you've got a little more freedom on how you play Jose Alvarado. And Jose has been the Pelican's best, you know, pure guard defender. So Herb's more mm. of a, a guard wing forward hybrid, but Jose, I, I think can give campaign a lot of problems. Um, mm. And so, and I think really, I'm curious to see how uh, Willie green's typically been pulling him until the second quarter in the rotations. Um, I, I, I don't think that necessarily changes to start, but I do think if campaign starts getting caught that Jose will, 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 will go guard. And, and so again, Jose Alvaro is an undrafted rookie. He's not. He's not a, a null no defensive caliber player, but mm-hmm. he is someone who'll get up in you and, and cause problems. And so, I do. I do think that that's uh, something Willie Green can can do more liberally now with with Booker out and having to worry about foul trouble a little bit less. Um, but as far as uh, Pelicans' X factors, I really think you know, Trey, Trey Murphy is such a big one. I think similar mm-hmm. to to Phoenix, like if Jay Crowder hits four corner threes, or five corner threes, it totally changes the, the game. Mm-hmm. And same same holds true for Trey Murphy, although. Jay Crowder, if it me every time he makes a three, cause he's like a 33% career shooter. And whenever, whenever he's getting shots, I'm always like, that's, a, this is a win for the defense, especially when Booker and Paul are out there and he, yeah. um, but, uh, but I, you know, I think Trey Murphy, who, you know, dead eye shooter in college has been a good shooter for the Pelicans this season. If he can get caught, high. Um, I don't really want to call Devonte Graham an X factor. Cause I, my, my hope is still that he doesn't play that much, but Trey Murphy is going to play. And if he can, can start making some threes and getting opportunities, which to the Suns' credit, they've been good at preventing those opportunities for him. Um, I I think it really uh, could tilt things in in the Pelicans' favor.
2: So I want to give you a minute, and uh, we have spent this entire podcast hardly even mentioning the names of C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram. Uh, That is a pairing that's been really good for the Pelicans for fans Watching the Pelicans, um, on, especially on Tuesday night in game two, you wonder how the heck are they only, did they only win 36 games in the year? And, uh, part of it is the guys who are around them, uh, just haven't been as good, but also they've hardly played together. Um, CJ was acquired at the trade deadline. Brendan Ingram has been in and out of the lineup with injuries. Uh, they actually had a winning record with those two in the lineup, um, over, I think it was 11 and six, maybe, um. And they've won 10 of the last 12, something along that line. So, Mason, tell me what you've seen on the growth between those two as a tandem on the court.
1: Yeah, it, it's really impressive because typically when you see deadline deals occur, um, there are some growing pains. Like the most recent example in New Orleans was when they traded for DeMarcus Cousins. There was so much excitement because they didn't really, they traded Buddy deal and really not much else for, for Boogie. And then that didn't go very well because integrating him well alongside Anthony Davis was really hard. They Things were going great the following year once they had time to really figure it out but I think um you know CJ and then Nance too it's really been impressive how seamlessly they've integrated into this team um and I think uh CJ has really taken on the the same type of role that Devontae Graham had in the starting lineup but he's way better at it and so yeah. it's uh it, it's it's been I and, think and, and I think BI and and CJ have learned to play off each other and there's not I mean it's really selfless basketball. Um, that no no one's really asking for more shots or, or, or upset that the other ones taking more shots. I think it's been it's been really fun to see. And like you said, yeah, the, the team I think they've been top ten on both sides of the ball um, when since the since February or, or the trade deadline. Um, so they, they've been a legitimately good team with Ingram healthy. He's missed Ingram's missed some time down the stretch, and so the Pelicans did struggle for a, for a bit without him. But really. What, with CJ, with Ingram, and Ingram, it's worth mentioning the strides he's made defensively this year. Willie Green's got him playing defense last year. He was arguably one of the worst wings in the league defensively. And um, so, between those two and Herb Jones, that, that, that three-man group is really powerful, and, and it can play against and you know any any opposing lineup. Whereas you know Jonas, you may have to pull him out in certain cases, uh, that matchup-wise. But those three. Um, especially if CJ's your smallest player out there, it's, it's a dangerous combo. And so, you know, they're not, they're not an elite team by any stretch, but they are a good team. And so I think they're, they're definitely better than the record given the personnel they have now and continuity. You mentioned continuity earlier. It's a huge factor. I mean, the, the Pelicans were a good team right before the deadline too, with, with uh, the, the similar lineup with Josh Hart in the mix, because they play together a lot. It, it, it was a very balanced group uh, as far as what the, the skills each player brought to the table. Um, but but now it's it's kind of that but but even better because of what CJ brings. So it's it's uh it's been fun and you know it, whether or not the se- the season ends in in a few games, it's there's a lot of excitement brewing in the Orleans about what you can do moving forward if you add a um, a guy like Zion Williamson to the bunch, right?
2: Oh my God, that that'd be incredible. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Zion on another day for sure because he's not playing in this series. Um, oh Brandon. Now I want to ask you, what do you see as the Suns biggest adjustments in games 3 and 4? We'll be talking again on Saturday in a couple of days, but let's talk about game 3. What what changes, what different things do you think you're going to see in
0: game 3 as far as Suns adjustments? I think more of just an emphasis on executing your offense because you know, what what leads to that, that transition and those leakouts is is missing shots. And I think just by you know, executing, getting good looks and making shots and slowing them down is going to be huge. So I think just attention to detail, making sure that they're running their sets to Chris Paul uh, level standards, where I really think he's going to take more of a a general uh, lead in this game in terms of just slowing things down, making sure everything's done right. Um, And just, you know, the Suns using their experience and just battle tested from last playoff run to kind of overwhelm the Pelicans because they they do have a young group. They have a lot of talented rookies that have stepped up big. And I think the suns just need to find ways to take advantage of um, their inexperience. And also just kind of, like I said, just eliminate the transition looks. And I think that'll lead to, um, you know, the three point numbers dropping and the Pelicans offense struggling at times because that's the main thing, just getting the pace more towards the sun's favor and doing what they like to do best. And really just kind of shrinking the game like that's that's the key for them uh if they want to win, win without Booker it's going to be tough this it's, we got a series now I think the Pelicans in general are better than a typical eight seed just because you know having two creators that can hit tough shots like Ingram and McCollum that's what the playoffs are all about so you know to me I don't know if this is a hot take or not but I'd, I'd rather play like a team like Denver than uh than the Pelicans in the first round just based off that because you only have to worry about Jokic really with that team with with the, the pelicans they got so many options and uh so yeah it's was, it was de- definitely a tough draw and it's just something i think uh i saw the sun's winning the series in six um but i do think it's going to be you know confidence level is definitely not what it was with booker healthy and i think uh you know the sun that sun's fans you know saying sun's in five just need to relax a little bit this is, <laughs> is going to be a tough series uh so they, they gotta at least get a split here and on the road and kind of take back home court advantage and go from there.
2: Okay. Let's wrap this up with a, with some predictions. Uh, so games three and four uh, Mason, those are in, those are in new Orleans. Uh, what What's the series record going to be after four games. So after games three and four.
1: So I think the Pelicans have to win both to have a chance in the series. I think if it goes two two back to Phoenix, that's it's, it's tough proposition for the Pelicans. However, that's what I think is gonna happen. I think the team, I think they're gonna split the games in New Orleans. Um, I think I think game three, honestly, if I think if I think of Pelicans lose game three, they're in a really, really tough spot. I think that the the, the energy in, in the smoothie king center is gonna be phenomenal. Um, that the everyone around the city is is so so excited for for these games this weekend. Um and so so I, I do expect Pelicans to take game three. Um I think game four becomes the, the winner of game four is really in the driver's seat to win the series for me, which isn't necessarily like revolutionary or anything, but I do think even more so here it, it, it applies um, because the, I, I can tell you that New Orleans fans still have nightmares back to 2008. This is how unfrequently the Falcons have been a truly, or Hornets at the time have been a truly dangerous team, but we, the the Hornets were the two seed and, or, or sorry, the Hornets were the one seed and the Spurs were or just two or three, sorry. Um, the, the Hornets had home court advantage and they were playing for the right to play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And the Pelicans had, um, you know, they, they, they lost, they lost that series on the, on the home floor. And so they had home court advantage and they lost it. And um, it, that's, it, it, there's, and I know people don't forget, you know, cause that was the best team that this, the city's had, uh, that 07 08 New Orleans Hornets team. Um, and so, you know, home court's valuable and you don't want to, you know, lose it. Now that the Pelicans have it. They've got to. They got to keep it.
0: Um, but we'll, we'll we'll see how things go.
2: Okay, so you're saying one-one over the weekend, Brandon. So. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with him. I agree. I think Game Three, the Pelicans are just they're going to be riding a high. They're going to have the home court advantage. All the players are confident still. So I think I'm going to go. The Pelicans are going to win Game Three. Uh, Suns will take Game Four, and. Uh, I know you didn't ask, but I think uh, games five and six, the Suns will take as well. That's why I have uh, Suns in six. Um, but, you know, that's getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, so that's that's my overall prediction. I, I wasn't here for last week's show when we made the full series prediction, so I just wanted to throw that out oh, there. Oh, I
2: only had people predicting the first two games, actually, because we're, we're we're potting often enough. And really, I love the how the series change. I, I love how playoff series yeah. change game to game. So uh, predicting the overall is not as fun. Like you're predicting uh, Suns in six, great, but how the Suns get to the how six, they yeah. how they get there, is to me is more fun than uh, just predicting the overall series. That's kind of lame because then you don't know if you were right for two weeks. So I, I, I'm we've just been predicting uh, small snippets at a time, um, and so I'm let's just staying with these two games, um, I'm gonna look. I think there's a, I think there's a good chance. That the Suns win both in New Orleans, and I don't think that's just me being a homer. And let me explain why. Um, and I know um, as much as it'd be fun to see the uh, series go six games, and still may go six games. The Suns' backs are against the wall. They've been uh, the winningest team in the league for two years. They know how to win games. They know how to buckle down. Uh, Mason, you said you know the Suns were eight and six without Booker. Yeah, three of those were rest games at the end of the year, so they're really eight and three without Booker. Um, and uh, that is the Suns know how to win without guys. They were 11 and four without Chris Paul, eight and three without Booker, 18 and three without Aiden. Uh, they know how to win without guys. Um, what the Suns have not been doing in the last month is playing their best basketball. They haven't been totally focused and driven and playing like the underdog because they clinched the top seed in the league a month ago. And um, at that point, what else is there? And now you get into, seriously, I think this is, some of this is psyche. Now you get into the playoffs and you're facing a 10 seed. So you're thinking, oh, well, it's kind of an extended regular season. Playoffs haven't really started yet. At least on the back of their minds, I haven't seen the the team as focused as they were a year ago when they were playing the Lakers because teams were picking the Lakers to win that series. And so the Suns were backs against the wall, even though they were the two seed a year ago. This year, finally, the Suns are a little bit have some adversity. They're a little bit backs against the wall. I'm looking for them to play their balls out this weekend. If the Suns don't play hard this weekend, this is is not going to be a good playoff run for the Suns. Uh, They still probably will end up beating the Pelicans, even if they don't play balls out, um, because Booker will eventually be back. Chris Paul knows how to close games. This team is just that good. But it won't be a great playoff run if the Suns don't play really well this weekend Um, as far as effort. Now, they still might drop a game, but they've got to play with maximum effort on this weekend. So I really think the Suns win game three and game four is the toss up. That's my that's my guess. Um, Brandon, you and I will be talking again this weekend after game three. So we'll see if that came true. If the Suns lay down in game three, I don't have great feelings about the rest of this playoffs run uh, with or without Devin Booker. So let's uh, let's see what happens this this weekend Mason, I love the way the pelicans are playing. I love Willie Green as a coach man that 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 pump up timeout. okay, the last question I have for you then we're gonna let you go. I know we're running late. Uh, but the pump up timeout when when the pelicans, I think at the time they were down seven or ten or something like that in against the Clippers they had gone down um, in that third quarter after having the lead and Willie Green does his does his pump up thing where he's shaking his head as he's going, we've, 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 we've fought all year for this. We're not going to lay down. We're not going to give up. Then all of a sudden the Pelicans just suddenly, this young team suddenly galvanized and came back and won that game. What, was, what are they talking about in, in New Orleans about that uh, that timeout speech that Willie had? The second half
1: was really a uh, a microcosm of the season for the Pelicans and how they, yeah, how Willie Green's kept them fighting all year long. Because yeah. I I could argue that third quarter was one of the most poorly coached uh, stints of the season for Willie Green. I mean, putting putting Tony Snell in the game, there was inexcusable when when Trey Murphy was just sitting there. There were some uh, you know the, the rotations were maddening at the time, and then he had one of the best quarters of the season coaching. All the all the rotations he used in the fourth quarter were perfect, and obviously the team he he got the team. Hyped up, and it was uh, you. You could just you could just tell that they were running at hundred ten miles an hour. I mean, I, I think it was it was and, and yeah, very motivational. The, the city all got behind it. Everyone everyone's excited, and so um, you know, I, I think win or lose this series, um, there it's a, it's a really positive yeah. step for for New Orleans, and why I kind of roll my eyes sometimes when you know, well, the, the, why did the Pelicans trade for C.J. because they're only going to be an eight seed now, and they're just making they're giving themselves a worse draft pick, and it's just like. You, you, it's it's not like win a championship or or lose right. sixty games. It's, there there are steps that a franchise has to take to get from one, one step to one level to the next, and I, and I think the Pelicans are showing that this year. It's a it's an important step for the franchise, and we're, we're excited.
2: Well, Suns fans will be able to relate because uh, they they had that gap that 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 step up year. Uh, right. So they lost 63 games with Booker, Mikel and Deandre Aiden, um, uh, Aiden and, 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 Bridges were rookies. Then they won 34 with Ricky Rubio. They acquired Ricky Rubio. When everybody said the same thing you just said, Mason, why would you go for an eight seat? Why would you go for like the, the middle ground? You either got to win 60 or lose 60. There's no in between. Yeah, there is an in between. You have to have an in-between to have that step to step up. And I think the Pelicans have done that. And now, like the Suns adding Chris Paul in that second season, you guys adding Zion Williamson in your second season of this group together, that's going to be a really good team because you've got the right coach in place. You've got the right players in place. I have some questions on how David Griffin will handle the offseason. But you know what? Suns fans have had questions about how their front office will handle off seasons forever. So, and uh, we got
1: a and we have a top ten Lakers pick coming our way. So, and you got a top ten so Lakers. Too. I, think Screw you Lakers. <laughs> I think we
2: can enjoy that. Uh yeah, so um, it definitely um, this is great future for the Pelicans, and I think it'll be a very competitive series um uh the suns just uh, i think the suns just have too much talent to lose it for sure um okay so that's our predictions for the weekend uh we think they're going to go one and one but how they go one and one is different um for each person and i I'm, I'm calling game 3 for the suns thank you everybody for being in the chat i really appreciate you joining us here early in arizona on a thursday morning and we're uh, in Australia for some of you. I know some of you are down and down in in the outback there. And uh, thank you for joining us on your Friday. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Mason, thanks again for coming on. Tell us where we can find you for your Pelicans coverage during this series.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so just my name uh, Mason Ginsberg, on on Twitter. and i'm I'm not doing much in the writing game anymore, but we are we I, you know my co- uh, co-host Shimanduah and I do the in the Know podcast on uh, for for Blue wire. Um so that's that's where you'll find me most most frequently. Um so yeah,
0: definitely check
2: us out. In the no podcast on Blue Wire. Excellent. Uh Brandon, tell us where we can find you talking about the Suns this weekend.
0: Yeah, just uh at hoops underscore on Twitter, uh brightside of dot com and zonahoops dot com. And looking forward to some some playoff basketball. Not just suns. I mean, this there's been some crazy games around the league. So it's just exciting time to be a fan.
2: Yeah, Saturday we'll catch up on the entire league as a whole. Uh, for sure, Brandon, I want to do a whole section on that and then uh, catch up with you a little bit more as well on, on what you've thought about the Suns in the playoffs and how they adjusted in Game 3. I am Dave King. You can find me at DaveKingNBA on Twitter. You can find our, our writing, uh, me and Brandon, on brightsideofthesun.com. And, of course, this podcast. We'll be back Saturday morning, two days from now. Talk to you all later. Thank you so much for joining us today.